Lord, that you would wash our feet like you washed the disciples' feet at the communion table. And that you would speak to us, speak to the inner man. Lord, not the outer man, not the flesh. The word never addresses our flesh or never speaks to our flesh. But it's always addressing and speaking to the inner man to build up the inner man. And Lord, that's what we want today is inner encouragement, inner strength. Thank you, Lord, for the worship. Rebecca and Don and Aggie for the worship time. I just bless these words for your name's sake, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. I have to shut my phone off during the service because I'm getting messages from Pastor Kyle (laughs) on Slack, popping up right on my screen here. So... Last week we, we did speak about, let's, buy, let's do a little review of what we did last week. Uh, we spoke on the fall of Lucifer, and we've been speaking this month in the book, uh, and I almost said the book, but the, the month of October, the book of October. It is kind of a book, isn't it? And uh, we've been speaking about really um, uh, the history of the devil, uh, where he came from, what his involvement in the world today. I mean, we are now in Halloween season. And you can see the ghouls and the goblins on everybody's, on everybody's uh, front lawns. And it just gets a little spooky sometimes, doesn't it? We went up to, my wife and I went up to Doylestown and New Hope and Lambert the other night just to eat something. And I, we were walking around like, my gosh, you know, it's just so spooky up there. I don't know what that place is all about up there. But just my wife and I were like, wow. You know, so we just got in our car and left. But. And this kind of atmosphere is pretty predominant in the fall and in the, in the October time because it's really a day and a time dedicated to uh, really worship the devil. And if you study the history, of, uh, or the history of Halloween, what that really means, which we won't do this morning, it really was a pagan day dedicated to um, pray for the dead as well as November 1st, All Saints Day. And so we have been discussing uh, this subject of spiritual warfare, and we talked a bit about, a little bit about it last week. And we said, I just want to make two points in review, and the, I'm going to put them up on the screen in a minute. But if we remember in Job chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, God speaks to Satan, and he says, uh, where are you coming from? From whence do you come? Satan says, from going to and fro, back and forth. He is on... He is on this mad, frenetic search, and uh, the Apostle Peter says that he may seek who may he devour. Uh, The devil is not passive in our lives. He is seeking to devour us, and so we see that the devil, for a period of time, is free to uh, move back and forth on this earth, even though he has been uh, eternally sentenced to the lake of fire. That happens uh, in the past, when, the, when Lucifer deceived a third of the angels, there was a war in heaven. He was kicked out of heaven, of course. And his delayed sentence to the lake of fire will happen at the end of time. But until then, what is Satan doing today? He is really uh, out and about trying to appeal his sentence. He was sentenced and he's got some time before he's got to go to the lake of fire. So he is out appealing his sentence. He is talking to whoever and everyone that he may through through Hollywood, through many different uh, mediums, through people 
to appeal his case to people against God. And he wants to take witnesses in some, uh, he wants to take witnesses, he wants to get people that will testify against the nature of God by living in their flesh. When you and I live in our flesh, and when we live, and this is what we said last week, when we live in our carnal energy for God, like, like Ron was saying this morning, and we are not a witness for Christ, we are really a witness against the nature of God. And so whenever there is an accident or a situation, uh, we're, there's always witnesses are the most important factor. And so you and I today are witnesses. That's what we are every day. You and I are witnessing either the kingdom of God, his faithfulness, his love, his grace, his mercy, or we are witnesses that God is, and we are saying, God is not faithful in my life. I'm complaining. I'm living in negativity. I'm living in passivity, pessimism. I'm living in bondages and addictions because what I'm really saying is, is that I'm not deciding to believe the truth about the nature of God. And so that's the first point we made. And so the second point, the second point we made was really in Psalm chapter 8, verse 5, is that God created a race called mankind, by, that's you and I, by the way, to resolve this age-old conflict, to prove that Satan and his fallen angels, that God was fair and that he was just. And really that God wants to, through this appeal case, allowing the devil to have his period of time. God has a higher plan. He wants to, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, bring many sons to glory. And so there are two things that are happening in our life today. We are witnesses against Satan and the, and the demons and the world system. We are, we are testifying of the nature of God and the faithfulness of God. And number two, we are also part of bringing many sons into glory, bringing many people to Christ. Because the devil wants to deceive the whole world. And these are really the two main points that we were saying last, last week. And so this whole situation that we're discussing here is called angelic conflict. Now, when you woke up this morning and you were brushing your teeth, you were not probably aware of the angelic conflict for your life. You know, how many, have, how many people have seen or read that book from back in the day, like in the 80s, I think it was, uh, Frank Peretti's book, The uh, this present darkness, piercing the darkness, and uh, I think there was even a movie made about it. And uh, I think that that is really, I mean, it's kind of odd to read that, but it really is the case that the devil does not sleep at night. The devil, uh, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 10, they say Proverbs, Revelation, Revelations chapter 12, verse 10, is, means that day and night the devil is accusing you to yourself, to other people, and to God. God's not going to listen to that accusation because God knows what he did in your life. And so he is working day and night. If you have strange dreams at night, don't be, you know, Revelations 12, verse 10, the devil is attacking. <laughs> That's why we pray. We, we, we try to read our Bible or read something edifying before we go to sleep. Um, so this is angelic conflict. And I think many, many Christians today don't even realize that they are in an angelic conflict, that the devil is really trying to turn witnesses against God so that he can build a case against the nature of God. That's what he did with Eve, didn't he? He said to Eve, has God really said, I think God's hiding something from you. It sounds like a prosecutor going cross-examining Adam and Eve in the garden. Okay, and so this is really the devil is an accuser. And so... 
Um, in spiritual warfare, God, I believe, has given us nine strat or nine principles, and I want to look at them in a minute. But they are spiritual principles because, as we heard Ron just say, and just, it was so good what he was saying. And, and you know, we never really talk to each other about what we're going to talk about here. We just really trust the Lord; He's going to lead us, and it just kind of segues really well into what we're saying this morning that that we cannot war warfare in the flesh. And I read something recently, and I thought it was really great. If an unbeliever can do it, then it's not supernatural. I mean, we can't live this Christian life. There are so many people that are trying to live the Christian life as even a, as an unregenerate, unsaved, unquick, uh, unquickened uh, individual. Uh, we need to be born again. And that's, uh, that is a moment in time that we should think back. We should know when that happened in our life. That, you know... That is the time where I volitionally chose Christ to be my Lord and Savior. I chose Christ to be my Lord and Savior. And that is a time when we should know when that happened. And when we did that, whether we felt it or not, there was a, renew, there was a quickening and a sealing of the Holy Spirit in us. And so God has given us nine, uh, t- nine principles in warfare that I want to talk to you. And it's going to sound a little militaristic. We're not militaristic in our church. Um, but I do like you. Paul used the Olympics. Uh, Paul used the Roman army. So I think we could also use maybe some military uh, tactics and strategy talk. So two things uh, that God has given us. Uh, he has given us a strand. Uh, we said this last week. God has given us a strategy. What is the strategy? Well, strategy is something that has happened once. And it is really our method and our plan. And what is the strategy for you and I that gives us the advantage? It's that all of our sins were crucified on a cross and that Jesus rose from the dead. We started this day from a very advantageous position. We did not start this day in a victim mode where we have to struggle with this Darwinism of psychology to get to the top of the pile. As a Christian, we are not in a rat race. As a Christian, we really start from the position of advantage and power from God. Why? Because our sins are paid for. You know, when Ronald Reagan forgave uh, the debt um, of Poland in Eastern Europe, as Eastern Europe was coming out of communism, Poland was really the only country that had its debt forgiven. The rest of these countries didn't. And what happened? Poland really led, in a lot of ways, the the reform in Eastern Europe. And so what we see happen is is that Poland had such an advantage at the beginning of its coming out of communism. And so we also have this advantage in Christ. What is our strategy today? Well, my sins are paid for. I am in Christ seated above in heavenly places, above principalities and powers. And that's the whole theme of Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2. The second thing that God has given us is he's given us tactics. And tactics really mean taking the strategies and putting them into an everyday plan. What's your tactic for today? Well, I'm going to take, I'm going to apply the cross in my life. Every hour of the day when something comes up, when I get depressed or tempted or or discouraged, or sad, or angry, or what, or whatever, my, my past comes back, then my tactic for the day is to take my strategy and apply it to that moment. Say, so, you know, my sins are forgiven. I am no longer my sin. I am a new creation. 
And so God has given us this tactical victory through uh, Jesus Christ. So let's just get into um, uh, some of these points here. And where do we get these nine points? Well, I want to mention that in a minute here, but there are two keys, and there are two keys in warfare. Two th- and I'm, and what, we're, what I'm, um, this is, if you talk to any military genius, genius in human history, there's two major points that they will always bring up. Deception, and try to subdue the opponent without a fight. Deception, and try to subdue the opponent without a fight. What does that mean? Well, all successful warfare is based on deception, isn't it? Well, let's apply that in the spiritual realm. Who is trying to deceive? The devil, correct? The devil's trying to deceive the believer. And that is happening all the time. We said that last week. God is saying, I am, I am, I am in the Bible. Satan is saying, I am not, I am not, I am not. There's nothing to see here. Move on. And that's really the deception of the devil. The devil wants to deceive us through self-deception, through many different forms of deception. But we can also deceive the devil. Did you know that? And I want to talk about that in a minute. Jesus deceived the devil. As a matter of fact, you know that because the devil was also listening to what God was saying in the Old Testament about what was going to happen in the future. But the devil could not figure it out. Why? Even though he's a genius, a strategic genius, he miscalculated the humility of God. The devil did not calculate that he would send his own son to pay for the sins of this very weak race that he had created. Because Why? Because the devil thinks everyone else is like him. And that's the way proud people function. Proud people always think, well, everybody's like me, so I'm going to function this way, and that's the way they're going to function themselves. Well, I'm going to do this because they're going to do it to me first. You know? But that is not the way. The, 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 the humility of God to send his own son as a baby boy, and that season is coming up very quickly, isn't it? What we, what we celebrate as Christmas was a huge surprise to the devil. The devil just did not count on God's humility. And so God really deceived the devil. And, that, and when we, you and I live in humility, when you and I live in humility then the devil has no idea what's going on. We're speaking another language. We are off his radar. We're not that little blip on the When you are not living in the flesh, when we're being filled with the Holy Spirit and being quickened by the Word of God daily and have an intake of the Word of God, by the way, we've got to have an intake of the Word of God daily, then we're not on his radar because he can only see flesh. <laughs> He's tuned into another frequency that... They're called the flesh frequency. And as soon as someone's in the flesh, we pop up on his radar screen. And then he homes in on us with his missiles and his projections and all that stuff. But when we humble ourselves, and that's why, that's why Herod couldn't find Jesus and when he was first born. He was like, where is this? You know, here's the whole world's system, and they can't find Jesus where he was born. But guess what? People in Herod's court knew exactly where he was because they knew the scriptures. Micah 5, verse 2. So... Very interesting. So deception. And the second thing is the devil wants to try to subdue with no fight. Okay, he wants to. And how does that happen? Psychological warfare. Do you ever see two boxers getting ready to go, go at it? Yeah, how many like to watch boxing here? Okay, a few. 
okay? Um, in Europe, they have another kind of boxing, which is a lot more interesting. They use a lot more than just their hands, but, uh, and there's a lot less padding. But, um, but when two boxers are looking at each other, they're sizing each other up, and they're doing the whole psychological thing. Even when they're um, presenting them before the fight, there's that pre-fight, you know, meet up, they're meeting, and they're talking, and they're kind of staring at each other, and just making faces. And it's a psychological warfare, so that they're, so the other one would back down. And this is really what the devil wants to do with you and I, but we can also do that to the devil. We can live in our strategic victory through the cross and not try to fight the devil in the flesh. Let's get that. Let's get to that in a minute. So God's strategy is found in the pre-designed plan of God, and the, which is the cross, and God's tactics are the daily application of divine power and grace. All right, you got it? Our strategy is the cross, and our tactics is the grace of God, daily grace, daily grace. One cross, once forever, the battle is won. Tactics are now a daily application with grace. So let's look at um, this interesting guy. His name is General Sun Tzu, and I don't do this very often, but I read recently his Nine Principles of War. How many have ever read General Tzu's Nine Principles of War? Okay, just... One person here. Okay, this is going to be interesting for you. He was a Chinese general that lived 500 years before Christ. Um, nice looking guy there, you know. Kind of needs maybe some a haircut or some uh, facial tension. But this guy was a military genius. And he wrote a series of documents that today are used in, in war. And uh, these are not, this is nothing, this is not rocket science. But it really has a lot to do with understanding our warfare as a believer and how we can function in warfare. And so he gave nine principles of war. And so we're going to just give them to you this morning. Number one, the first principle, and you know, to understand these principles, if we have these principles and we function these principles, then we're going to have the tactics that we need to keep the advantage. Because that's what we want, right? We want to function in the advantage. The devil wants to put us at a disadvantage but we are, when we wake up in the morning and before our feet hit the floor, we have the advantage, right, spiritually. But, but we, buy the, we buy the psychological projections and we live in our emotions and we live in defeat, when, and that's really such a lie. So number one, what's the objective? What is the objective in spiritual warfare? It's to glorify Jesus Christ, okay? What's the objective? Uh, in spiritual warfare. Revelations 4, verse 11. It is to glorify Jesus Christ. Listen to this beautiful verse. Uh, Rome, uh, Revelations 4, verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and power and honor. For thou discreditest all things because of thy will they existed and were created. What's my first objective in warfare? I'm just going to, I want to just glorify Jesus Christ. When the battle gets heavy, when you're changing a thousand diapers and you're cooking 12, 12 meals for everybody and you've got 400 people living in your house, what is your objective as a mother? I want to just glorify Christ today. You know, we got some amazing moms here. To, you know, we got some amazing moms. Um, you know, moms are amazing missionaries. Our mom, my mom, really evangelized us and... Um, 
wanted to be a missionary to China and Russia, but it never happened, so just raised up sons that would do it. <laughs> you know? What do we do? We, what do we, what's, my, what's my objective today? It's just to glorify Jesus Christ, to really point to him and make him the big issue and give him the glory. Number two, uh, offensive action. You know, we have an objective, but what's our offense? What is our offense? Well, this is in Ephesians 6, verse 17. Um, our offense really is not that we are going to go and fight the devil today, but in uh, 1 Timothy 6, verse 12, and in Ephesians 6, verse 17, our spiritual war is really uh, a fighting of the good fight of faith. And it's just walking by faith. Uh, is standing still, seeing the salvation of the Lord. And when you sense you're in battle, number one, just understand your objective. What's my objective? Not to justify myself, not to make everybody else look bad. I just want Christ glorified. And number two, after we understand our objective, we want to understand uh, what is my offense here? Well, my offense is, is I'm going to fight the good fight of faith. I'm not going to change my doctrine. I'm not going to change the way I believe. I'm not going to start... You know, I'm not going to start walking by sight in my life. I'm going to stand in faith. Stand in faith. Just stand in the faith. It's the word of faith. And again, if we're not receiving the word of faith on a daily basis, it's got to be daily, guys. It's really got to be daily. You know, if it's not daily, if we're not in the word daily, then something else is going to be filling that capacity, you know. Um, HBO is going to be filling that capacity, you know. It's got to be, we got to be in the word and we got to be filling ourselves with the word of faith, the word of faith. And then we grow, okay? And we grow. All right. Uh, number three, I didn't draw that picture, but I thought it was cool. Number three, principle of mass. Now, don't get confused with the terms. These are general terms. What's the principle of mass? Well, the term mass is used in the military to define combat power, okay? The concept of mass includes the numbers, the weapons, the tactical skill, the fighting ability, the termination, the discipline, the morale, the leadership, which are all part of the power in the military principle of mass. So in other words, mass takes into account all the assets and the weapons that the soldiers have. Now, how, many, how many of you lived during the years of the Cold War? Many of you, okay. How many of you remember looking at the newspapers of these charts of how much Russia had and how much the United States had? You know, all the ICBMs Russia had and all the ICBMs America had and all the tanks and, you know, these, these, these comparative charts. Okay, this was the principle of mass. And I think each, uh, each side of the scale was trying to intimidate the other one, but just the principle of mass. And what is the principle of mass for the believer? Well, it really is the body of Christ in Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 16. If you read those verses, it just, it just starts off that God has given us um, many assets in the body of Christ to build us up. You know, when you think of facing trouble in your life, and you know that there's everyone in the church is praying for you, that's the principle of mass, right, isn't it? Like, you know, you go to a situation and you're by yourself in a very, uh, very difficult situation. And then you realize, you know what, everyone's praying for me. I'm getting text messages, you know. I'm, getting, I'm, I'm, I'm receiving prayer. People are praying for me. 
and people are building me up. And then I can call people and get in, get get some encouragement, you know, and get some, you know, I love when people in the body of Christ here take someone on in the body and they just get behind them because we want to get the principle of mass behind us. And that's Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 15. If I don't have a local church and I don't have a, con- a conviction about where is my local church home, then I don't really understand the principle of mass, do I? Okay? So that's the principle of mass. And another beautiful verse in um, 2 Samuel 22, verse 40, David said this, For you have girded me with strength for the battle. Thou hast subdued under me those who rose up against me. 2 Samuel 22, verse 40. David said, God, you have prepared me for the battle, and you have prepared uh, strength for me and girded me up. He had the principle of mass. That's number three. Okay? The body of Christ. How many of you have faced things by yourself without a church. I don't know how people do it without a church. I don't know. I just don't know how they do it. I don't know how they do it without a pastor. I don't know how they do it without, you know. It's like it's so amazing to go to, some, go to, a, go to, a, to, a, to approach a confrontation and, you know what, everybody's praying for me, you know. It makes, makes things much different, doesn't it? it? Puts us in the position of... Um, of advantage. Number four, the economy of force. So you have mass, you know, mass, and you have force. Now these, you know, these are two cool things. You know, you have mass, which speaks of weights, you know. I remember as a kid skateboarding a lot. It was my primary mode of transportation. And um, being on that skateboard, and I don't know if you've skateboarded before, but uh, if you hit these little pebbles, like we would then then the skateboard would stop, but because of your mass, you're not stopping. You're moving forward. It's you in the air minus the skateboard. And then that quick, you know, inevitable moment of impact on the ground, which is not fun, and that's called momentum. Well, this is really called force, you know, the economy of force. And what is our force as a believer? What is our force, and what, you know, when we are stepping into something with God, a new, brand new, uh, exciting vision for our life, you know, like uh, God wants to bless an area of your life and you're just filled with faith and optimism and you're filled with the conviction and that God is with you. Well, this is Luke 14, verses 31 through 35. Luke 14, and it really says that who is, um, and I can just read it to you, um, um, that no one begins, number, no one undertakes building a project without first sitting down and understanding and preparing what is needed for it. So how do we prepare for warfare? We pre- prepare by just personal preparation in Proverbs 16 and just having conviction, biblical conviction. Uh, this, is, this equals spiritual force. You know why? Because people that have conviction are going to be are going to have a lot of people that love them, and there are going to be a lot of people that don't like them. Uh, if you have any convictions in your life about things, uh, there are going to be people that will love you a lot, and there are going to be people that really don't like you, and they're going to really maybe attack you. Don't be surprised about this. This is what we call force, uh, spiritual force, because this is what the, this is, because the devil doesn't want anybody in the world moving. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want anyone to have any kind of force behind them. Uh, a train that has incredible mass 
moving at a high speed is not easy to stop, is it? So force is really when we have that conviction. Like, you know what? Here's an example. Have you ever been in a circumstance where you're like, you ask yourself, why am I doing this again? <laughs> you're talking to someone in your family. Why are we doing this? You know, why am I in this? What, you know, then at that moment, the devil wants to stop your force. You have the mask because you have the body behind you, but he wants to stop your force by just bringing you into a place of questioning your conviction. And then you have to go back in your mind and remember to when God spoke to you. I remember that happened to me often in Ukraine. Life was very tough there. And sometimes my wife and I would be like, now why are we doing this? And then we would just remember, you know what? God spoke to us. God spoke to me, and I had a conviction in my heart. And when we have conviction about what we're doing, then there's force to what we're doing. But if we're just kind of doing something with no conviction, and there's like, you know, there's no, there's no force in what we're doing. Another example, I remember traveling with a group uh, just around Europe, I was just kind of tagging along a group um, of pastors, and I just said, okay, I'll go with you, you know, and uh, we arrived to Turkey, and I travel a lot, and this has never happened to me before, you know, but uh, I couldn't find my passport, so I'm at the passport control, and I'm looking for my passport, and you know how you do that, you just, you go through everything a thousand times, and you're trying to, you're wondering where it is, and then the group is like, you know, we got to, we got to get to the meeting, I said, guys, just go. I'll meet you up there. If you don't see me, then I'm probably on my way to jail or something. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. They wanted to put me back on the plane and send me back to Hungary. And so I went to the men. I just was like, okay. I just went to the men's room, and I just started praying. I said, God, what's going on here? Said, you know, I can't find my passport. Said, you know, you're going through your mind. And, and then God said to me, he said, maybe you've heard this story before. He said, uh, he said, you know, how convicted are you about this trip? Like how, you know, you know, what is your persuasion about this trip? You know, is when we understand our persuasion and our conviction, and that gives us force in the battle. Mm. And I said, you know what? I really never prayed about this. I never really heard from God that I'm supposed to do this. And I, then I prayed, I said, God, do you want me on this trip? And I just had this witness in my heart from God that this was God's will, that I'm supposed to be here for this conference and I said, okay, got it. And I just said, at that moment, I had like this inner conviction and force in the situation. And as I left the bathroom, there was this Turkish woman standing there with, the, with my passport. <laughs> she said, is this yours? And I don't know how she found me, and she was from the you know, plane. And she goes, you dropped it in the plane. It was in the plane. And I just realized, I said, you know what? That is a great lesson for me, that we would never do things without conviction, without first hearing from God. Because if I move to another place, or if I go to another place, or if I do this or do that, without hearing from God, I could be putting myself in a very dangerous situation. Number five, God's game plan. Okay, number five, really, what's the fifth thing here is? Well, it's the principle of, the principle of movements. And we just talked about this a little bit. Movement for you and I is based on our understanding of God's plan for our life. So you'll see that number four and number five really go hand in hand that I understand what God's plan is for my life. There is a general plan for all of us as believers, you know, but then there's a precise, accurate plan for you. And I, I'm just amazed that when we talk to people that individual Christians don't have a sense of a personal plan of God for their life. Mm. They don't understand what God's personal plan is for them. <sighs> they kind of just are doing what everybody else is doing. They're trying to find their way. They're lost, you know. And we need to get an understanding of what God's 
personal plan is for us. And we've talked about that here before. We call it the perfect will of God. Under the principle of offense, the principle of movement means to bring military mass into close contact with the enemy to secure a decisive result. What does that mean practically? It means that by faith we bring all of our divine assets. We bring by faith all of the material that God has given us, the body of Christ, the conviction. We bring um, all of these things that we've already spoken about into close contact with the enemy. And But believe me, if you're being led by God in your life, you're going to be in close contact with the enemy. And that's a good thing. And I'll tell you why. Because being a Christian doesn't mean that God delivers us from all of our enemies. It just means that we are in the presence of our enemies, but we know what to do. Case in point, Jesus and Judas. Okay? Judas was chosen by Jesus to be a disciple. And did Jesus know what he was doing when he chose Judas to be a disciple? Absolutely. And so Jesus understood what was going on, but he also understood God's game plan. Okay, and this is really an example in Acts chapter 16, verse 10, that after Paul had tried two different places to go, like Paul tried to go to Bithynia, and then he tried to go to another place, both times God stopped him, and then Paul was like, okay, wait a minute, God, what do you want us to do? And then God speaks to him in Acts 16, verse 10, go to Macedonia. And what does he say? What does it say in verse 10 of chapter 16? It says that as soon as we heard, we obeyed and we went for it. Okay? And so that's the that's the principle of movement. Move by faith in your life when God speaks to you. I look at it like this: that if I don't move, I'm gonna be like, well, here's an example. What happened to David when he didn't go to war? It was God's plan for him to go to war with his soldiers. Oh, he stayed home, hung out at home like a couch potato, wound up on his roof, got involved with a relationship, and then just, wow, just went down from there. If we're not walking by faith in our life, then we're an easy target for the devil. Move, just move. And I'm not saying move to Hatboro. Maybe I am. <laughs> just joking around with that, by the way. Just move by faith, okay? Move by faith in your life. Number six the element of surprise. By the way, I like this picture here because this is when the Romanians, uh, this is an actual story. The Romanians jumped off a train and surprised uh, the enemy troops, but we'll get into that. The element of surprise. Again, the devil wants to try to surprise you, and this is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. By fiery trials and weird circumstances, of what is that all about, and why did that happen? And we're just like, going out of our mind, like, what, you know, why did that happen? Well, the Bible says, don't be surprised. Because when we live in surprise, and we're no longer living in the, with the advantage in spiritual warfare, uh, the principle of surprise is, is that um, when fiery trials come, uh, understand this, that we are sharing sufferings with Christ, rejoice, relax, and this is going to work out for your benefit. And so the element of surprise means in our life is that when we're surprised by weird situations, you, know, you, get a, you get a phone call and it's just like something comes out of left field and just blindsides you, mm-hmm. just get back on your feet and understand that all things work together for good. How do we surprise the devil? Mm-hmm. When you live by faith in John chapter 3, the devil cannot track you. Mm-hmm. It says in John 3, it says that um, the righteous are like the... Uh, Let's read that. John, we're going to have to read it, but the principle is, is that 
When I'm being led by the Spirit, it's like the wind. You don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. That's the same thing with the devil. He, he can feel the wind, but he can't see where you came from and where you're going. But why? Because the devil is on a different frequency, and he cannot see. By the way, the book of Acts, isn't it interesting to look? God is acting, and then the devil's reacting. That's the way it is in the kingdom of God. God is on the move, and the devil's reacting. It's never the devil's on the move, and God is reacting. It's, you know, bad things are happening, and then all the conservatives react. That's not what warfare is. It's God is moving, and the devil is on the, on the defense. Number seven, and I'm going to finish these soon, principle of security. Uh, this gives us the advantage in warfare and understanding that, that at, the beginning of the, at the beginning of the battle, I'm fighting from a place of security. I'm fighting from a place of security, meaning that as a believer, it means eternal security. And no matter if I lose, if I fail, if I blow it, my position in Christ is not going to be jeopardized in John 10, verse 28, and Isaiah 54, verse 17. Isaiah 54, verse 17 says this beautiful promise, and I want to take this, I want you to take this promise home and, and meditate on it. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper. That's what God says. Amen? Do I have your amen out there? Is anyone, I'm hearing some groanings. Like, hey, oh my God, amen. <laughs> Just say amen. I mean, we're... You know, we're an amen saying church, you know. Amen, right? No weapon that's formed against you by the devil is going to prosper. Amen, a- here we go. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right, here's another one. Um, what the devil meant for evil, this is what Joseph said, what was meant for evil, God meant for what? Good that he may what? Save many, okay? This is God's plan in your life. There's no weapon that is formed against you. You know, the devil's down there in his little armory making this, you know, dirty nuke, dirty, dirty bomb, spiritually dirty bomb, you know. Wants to blow, you know, blow something up in your life and, and make everybody radioactively sick, you know, spiritually. But that's not going to prosper. Even if you fail, even if there's a strategy of the devil in your life and you mess up, that's not going to prosper because God's with you. And that's... David said this, I believe it's in Psalm 91, he said that, Lord, you, you took me out, you saved me, you delivered me because you delighted in me. Isn't that a beautiful verse? I, I don't know the exact address of that verse, but we are eternally, eternally secure. And when we have that perspective, then we, then we really have understanding of the advantage. Then I like this graphic here. This is really kind of the way I did mazes when I was a kid. They would ask me to do these mazes but I would just draw a line right straight, straight through it. And number eight, the principle of simplicity, meaning that uh, in warfare, we don't want to be doing complicated maneuvers because people can't follow that. You get a large group and you do something complicated last minute and it's just like, you know, people are falling by the wayside. They're not in the right place at the right time. And this is the thing about warfare is that things have to be really simple, um, free from complicated maneuvers. And this is 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8. What does that mean? It just means that our Christianity needs to, be stay, needs to stay very simple and very pure and just very black and white. And people are going to call you narrow-minded. They're going to call you whatever. But we're going to enjoy simplicity because, you know, when you take a laser, what is laser? It's just lights that, that really has no power but to illuminate. But when you focus it, 
in the correct way, in a very condensed way, is very, very powerful. And so when we stay focused in simplicity and we don't get complicated, um, then we have amazing focus and amazing impact. And I'll add this, that the, that the flesh, the devil, and the world system always makes things complicated. When, someone, when your answer to someone is, well, it's complicated, that's not really the right answer. It just means that you and I don't have the, God's perspective on the matter. You know? Yeah, it may be complicated, but God's mind in the matter is not complicated. All right? So let's keep ourselves from getting very um, confused and uh, complex with just the flesh getting involved. And then lastly, number nine, is cooperation. This is a picture of our troops on maneuvers marching together in one direction. Cooperation, being of the same mind. And I'll just finish with this, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Having the same mind, um, cooperation. It means that all the elements of the mission and what we are doing is working together for that objective. It means teamwork. Work as a team. You know, work as a team, work as a unit. It's never I did this and I, you know, I, uh, that's not teamwork. Um, I've heard it said there's no I, letter, there's no I in team, right? Okay, that's what, that's what the sales world says, but it's really true. It's I am hitting Christ. I'm baked in a loaf. I, it's not about me. It's, it's really about us. It's about the team. It's about the church. We're a unit and we are cooperating together. And we are working together, and we have a common goal, a vision, to reach this area to the best we can, to reach people in the neighborhood, to get the word out, uh, to organize events that people can come in and, 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 and receive some great spiritual food. Like we had Friday night here, we just felt like you know, it was just like a, a healing time. There was like a spirit of healing in the room, and it was just a real wonderful time, and this is really because we are of the same mind. doesn't mean that we can't have differences and that we can't talk them out, but we're of the same mind. You know, we are, not, we are believing the best about people because we are a unit, and the devil wants to, dis, to discourage and to distract. And so lastly here, the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly or carnal. If the unbeliever can do it, it's not supernatural. Our life is a supernatural life. Zechariah 4, verse 6, it says this, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And this is really what warfare always does for us. It brings us to a point where we understand, I cannot do this. Uh, I want to do this. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And when we think that way, then the Holy Spirit is able to lead and bring us to a place of victory in an experiential way. Okay? I know I said a lot, and, um, you know, tonight we'll probably have the opportunity. Um, we're going to teach the class live again tonight. But if you have questions, we can continue this subject, and we can talk about it. And just remember this, um, and this is what I want to just share tonight, you know, in the su- in, with the subject of um, methods of evangelism, is that when we fail, uh, rebounds. Just bounce back, you know. Bounce back into the grace of God. Because when we do that, uh, you know, and with basketball, when you're playing, when you rebound, the point's made. It doesn't matter how the ball got there. 
It doesn't matter how many times the ball was dropped. The point has been made, and the team is now, you know, has additional points. And this is really the way it is with God, is that we are going to fail. That's inevitable. We don't want to make a provision for it because Mm -hmm. failure is painful and it hurts other people. But if we fall and we keep falling, then we just get back up, rebound into the grace of God, and understand that our position, our security in Christ is never compromised. And that failure truly really means is that when I fall down that I don't get back up. And then I just start living in this prolonged uh, status of just failure. Mm -hmm. Amen? All right, let's close in prayer.